taxes have nowhere to go but up. This week, the mayor gave us the state of the city, and like city council meetings, you probably didn't watch that either. We'll tell you the important parts, plus our first look at next year's tax increase, which will definitely be an increase. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speak Municipally, episode 178, where... Troy, I'm going to take over today. We are recording this episode as the Edmonton Oilers are playing game six. They are either about to be eliminated or they're going to delay that for one game. And I know how much you love sports ball, so that's why I brought up the Oilers. No, really, I wanted to transition to some other elimination. I wanted to ask you, what did you think about Matea Roach on Jeopardy? Did you watch? I'm going to be honest. I haven't watched jeopardy regularly since alex passed on Mm. primarily because and i know this may be controversial i'm not a mayhem fan and i know jennings was hosting the mateo run yep i don't love to actually watch the super champions live because like you're doing on this podcast right now everyone spoils what happens when super champions (laughs) are there google notifications push the results before i can watch it Uh, but i'm excited for a maritimer from canada to have such success on jeopardy and to be a super champion one of the top echelon top 10 ever it's it's pretty exciting it was great i enjoyed the run and i enjoyed listening to her on the front burner podcast talk a bit about it and give you behind the scenes for those of you who are pining for a position on our jeopardy at the end of the year time to research it is ironic that i was criticizing mayhem bialik's hosting given that i attempt to host jeopardy and <laughs> i do not have the talent that she has <laughs> one thing i do have a talent for oh no that's false advertising one thing that i do every week is the rapid fire segment just coming up right now the alberta bike swap is returning this saturday after a couple years of hiatus the event which acts sort of like a bike consignment in a big one-day sale is coming with extensive education for confused edmontonians who culturally simply swap bikes whenever they feel like it by bringing their battery-powered angle grinder down jasper ave after nearly two decades the juno awards will be returning to edmonton the grammy consolation prize for canucks will be held at rogers place in june of 2023 The last time Edmonton hosted was 2004, when we experienced the Canadian consolation version of incarceration in private prisons, listening to the acceptance speech of then-group of the year, Nickelback. The Year of the Garden 2022 is inviting Canadians to plant something red this year, leading to an all-out panic at the CPC leaders' debate in Edmonton on Wednesday, with all candidates in full agreement that, quote, Justin Trudeau is expecting full-on communism to bloom in the country this summer. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by InVentures, your front row seat to what's next. Register now for InVentures 2022, where you can learn, share, and be inspired by the startups, entrepreneurs, investors, and global thought leaders who are redefining the future. InVentures runs June 1st to 3rd in Calgary and online. Featuring more than 150 sessions, over 250 speakers, international keynotes, expert panels, startup pitch events, networking opportunities. There's so much to get out of InVentures this year. Reserve your pass at InVenturesCanada.com. That's InVenturesCanada.com. Mac, I always find it very funny this time of the year when Epcor and the Chamber of Commerce rent out a swanky ballroom and do something pretentious 
and say, let's take a note out of the U.S. Congress and the U.S. House of Representatives where the president speaks to the entire country and it's simulcast on networks. Let's broadcast the state of the city where the mayors say what we've heard them say every day. And that was this week, Mac. And was the state of the city as interesting as I've introduced it? (laughs) I think that's a fairly accurate description, Troy. I feel like the state of city has at times been a pretty interesting event, right? I believe it was the state of the city where Mayor Stephen Mandel talked about no more crap, famously. Uh, It was the state of the city where Don Iveson introduced things like Health City, which, you know, depending on how you feel about that, maybe you take or leave. But at least he brought something forward that was new and something that was you know, innovative. He's trying to do something different. But most of the time, like you say, we hear similar things from year to year. And it's really less of a state of the city (laughs) than it is the mayor pontificating about how they feel about stuff. And usually how they feel is annoyed with the province. And that's (laughs) exactly what we heard from Mayor Amarjeet Sohi This week, the crux of his speech was that we are the capital city and the province doesn't treat us like the capital city. It sounded so familiar to me. I had to look this up. It was the same message, essentially, that we heard Don Iveson make in 2019 and again in 2015 and Mayor Mandel in 2013. And those were just the obvious ones that I could find. This is a recurring theme for mayors at the state of the city to talk about how important our city is to the province and how the province doesn't treat us like a grown-up. He had the money quote that maybe, you know, uh, Iveson and uh, Mandel failed to have. Please stop holding Edmonton's economy back, is what Mayor Sohi said, which is pretty on the nose. He talked a bit about inequalities, which has been uh, something that he's been championing since he became mayor, his very first motion, of course, about anti-racism. Uh, and he said inequalities, not just in the way that people in Edmonton are treated, and we want everyone to be treated fairly and equally, but that we need the province's help to do that. And there's also inequality between what the city can do and what the province can do. And so he did announce one new thing. He said that he will convene a symposium of community leaders to try to find a way to end these challenges and get the provincial agencies to increase their presence in Edmonton, which is an interesting thing to say, considering that as the capital city, we do already have a pretty extensive provincial presence in Edmonton. I find it really interesting that, you know, when you call it the state of the city, there's an expectation that, you know, you might talk about the state of the city. And if I was talking about the state of the city, especially given the coverage on global news, especially given the coverage of the Edmonton Police Association, and and especially given the public discourse that's occurring ad nauseum right now in Edmonton, it's transit safety. It's the drug poisoning crisis. It's, to a great extent, COVID recovery and the pain from COVID causing additional houselessness. Mac, I don't feel like that had a prominent role in the speech. No, that's an accurate uh, description of the speech, not a prominent role. Transit safety came up exactly zero times, and transit was mentioned only twice in the entire speech, not even related to anything about security. It was in the context of economic development and, you know, Edmonton not getting a fair shake from the province, maybe receiving less MSI funding compared to other places. So transit safety, I agree with you, seems to be top of mind for many people right now. The closest he got was to say that, you know, Edmontonians should be assured that council is working hard to address 
you know, all of the sort of inequities that exist in our community. And I think he potentially might have lumped transit security into that conversation. But transit security did not really come up. And you would think if this is a speech about the moment, meant to reflect, as you say, the, the literal state of how things are going right now, you would want to talk about the very thing that has been dominating the news cycle for most of 2022. Yeah, of course, you're right that it's dominating the coverage. I think back to the end of April, where Global News was running a three-part series on getting into the depths of transit, as if transit was a sort of war zone and telling the real stories of transit safety. And not to underplay it, it was some pretty galling images, but you live downtown. I'm not sure that you're surprised that there was open jug use at some transit centers or on some LRT cars. That has become an unfortunate reality given houselessness, given the COVID situation, and given the drug poisoning crisis that we're experiencing. Right in the middle, before the third piece of that story aired, Mayor Sohi put out a statement saying, I'm acting immediately. This is my statement that I'm taking transit safety seriously in which he talked about the transit safety strategy that was already approved in February of 2022 and just what they're doing there. Yeah, this was the $3.9 million plan they approved to add more peace officers and outreach workers uh, dedicated to transit security. And he said at the end of April that, yeah, we're doing that. He also used the opportunity to say that that that'll help maybe improve things, but it doesn't address the root causes, which you have just touched on, homelessness, houselessness, you know, the, the opioid crisis, those kinds of things. And for that, he said, you know, the more majority of these challenges stem from things that really we need the province to fix, right? Health, mental health issues, addictions, housing, all those kinds of things. And he said the province needs to step up. So it's really interesting to me, uh, the the change and quite rapid change, I guess, from when we had the mayor on our show shortly after he was elected, and he was so keen to be so collaborative. We get to the provincial budget in February and transit in April and the state of the city in May, and he all of a sudden sounds a lot less collaborative and much more combative, at least with the province. So That's an interesting transition that he seems to have made in his first six months or so as mayor. To be fair, I don't know that I would quantify it as all of a sudden. Specifically, I'm thinking back to the mask debate or the vaccine passports where he made motions to the effect of, let's consult with the provincial government. Let's talk to the provincial Mm -hmm. government. And he was rebuffed at every opportunity and treated like, quote, children. Yeah. So I, I think the the fall from grace of the province in his eyes, the collaborative nature, I don't know that it's been his doing that's caused the failure, but I don't know it's been all of a sudden. It's been a pretty consistent and gradual. Yeah. And I would say concerted and deliberate decline from the provincial government uh, in terms of that collaborative relationship. Well, back to your question about, you know, am I surprised you know, given uh, what we saw and what uh, seems to be in the news about transit safety and how, you know, what the experience is like, I would say no, I think it's very apparent, especially downtown and in the core, that uh, these problems are very, very visible. And I think a large part of it is because there are fewer people around than there ever have been before, right? And so maybe the 
number of incidents hasn't actually changed all that dramatically, but because there aren't as many commuters or people in office buildings or students or others downtown, the folks who are facing challenges in the community are just so much more visible. And a good series, like you said, to have, uh, you know, Global shine a light on it, it felt a little awkward to me, if I'm being honest, a little bit like, let's go slumming it on the LRT line to see what it's like. And I feel like a lot of these problems could be addressed, not the root causes, don't get me wrong, but could be improved by doing two simple things. One is have the decision makers actually use transit and ride it regularly. Of course, we know Carrie Hot and McDonald does, but how many of the rest of the senior people at the city actually do? I think that would make a big difference. And the second thing is, yeah, to get more people feeling like they can ride transit. And they need, of course, to feel safe to be able to do that. But I think the more people you have, the safer they're going to feel. And so we go back, I think, to the root problem with transit that we've talked about a few times before, which is if it's not more convenient and more cost effective than driving, it doesn't matter how safe it is. No one's going to choose it. It doesn't matter if you have a police officer on every car. If it's harder to use and costs more than just simply getting in your car and parking somewhere, why would you ever choose it? So I don't know that complaining to the province about lack of funding or hiring a few more peace officers is really going to do anything to address this problem. You know, you mentioned a lot of really good root causes that we've talked about on this podcast before, but you missed one, and it's one that we haven't talked about a lot, but I think it may actually be the most impactful one right now, and that is fake news. Mm. This fake news, in fact, is coming from the police and the police association. And I had the experience personally just a couple of weeks ago. I was discussing with someone about transit and she had said, I don't want to take the LRT because I don't want to risk someone having a machete. And now this is a direct reference to Michael Elliott's tweeting during the police funding debate where he was sharing images and saying, here's a photo of someone with a machete on the LRT system. Of course, it was winter at that time, and it was a picture of someone in shorts. It was not an active photo. It was not a recent photo. It was sensationalist fake news designed to drum up fear, designed to drum up discontent, and designed to cause city council, between a rock and a hard place, to increase police budgets. I'm not the only one that has picked up on this. I was really fascinated to see a tweet and a media release coming from the Criminal Trial Lawyers Association effectively calling out the EPS for straight up political behavior, trying to drum up fear in advance of budget discussions. Yeah, I thought their their release was really fascinating. They, what they did is they looked at data from the city of Edmonton and measured the number of incidents of disorder and the disorder rate per 100,000 trips in January and going all the way through to February of this year. And they found, looking at that data, and they acknowledge they're not statisticians, they are lawyers, but still, you know, their analysis found that there's not been a significant change in transit disorder. And as you say, they called out the police and in particular, Chief McPhee uh, for implying in his year end interviews that there's been an increase in disorder. And we've seen these tweets about disorder and they're saying the data doesn't support that. Uh, And in fact, they go insofar as to analyze tweets about disorder and about transit safety and categorize them by 
proximity to budget discussions. And they find that there are very, very few tweets from Michael Elliott of the Police Association or from the EPS about transit safety, except in the days preceding budget discussions, which makes it a political discussion. And when disorder rates are shown to be constant or declining, even in spite of city funding of security officers whose sole role is to report, the stats should in fact show an increase because it should correlate with more reporting. And it doesn't do that. To what extent is there a narrative being pushed by the police association and by the police into the public minds that's even affecting you and I as we discuss this on the podcast? I think it's pretty clear there's an agenda being pushed by members of the police association or potentially even members of the police service that is geared toward their benefit. Of course, they're going to want to make sure that council is thinking about safety when it comes budget time. I don't think there's any question about that. And and even just looking at the number of tweets that they have posted about this topic and looking at how many they posted in previous years when there wasn't a budget decision to be made. I mean, it's pretty hard to argue that they're not using social media and other channels that they have to their advantage. I mean, on the data, I want to agree with you, but I'm a naturally skeptical person about this, Troy. I don't know exactly how the city's capturing that data or measuring that data. I would like to think that they're doing it in a consistent and reliable way and that we can trust the data over time. But of course, you know, it's the trends that we should be looking at, right? The trend in the data is probably what is going to be closer to reality than any, um, you know, one-offs or, or, or absolute numbers. And so I think it's good that they looked in their analysis at the disorder rate, right? Because we've had obviously big changes, big swings in ridership levels over this time as well. All of that said, I don't think we should diminish the perception, the very real perception that people have when they go and use transit. Just the other day, going down to the LRT station on my street, again, no public washroom, somebody pooped right outside the door at the bottom of the stairs. I mean, this kind of stuff is real. Like I walked past it, like these things are happening. You can't argue against that. No amount of data reporting about number of incidents is going to change the fact (laughs) that you need to walk past that to get through the door to go to the train, right? So there's a very real experience that people are having. I think where the disconnect is, is that the police are trying to suggest that the jump should be, therefore we should fund them significantly. And, And I hope that council doesn't fall for that or take the bait on that when they start to discuss this in earnest more in the next couple of weeks. Another earnest discussion that I hope comes from this, I think back to the entire oversight structure of the police. You know, council can't direct the police. And we saw during the convoys that government ministers can't direct the police service. And we set this up because it is a bad idea to have politicians directing That's an idea that most people can get behind. Sure. When politicians can directly tamper with police actions, that can be damaging. However, what I've seen over the past couple of weeks, and especially related to this Criminal Trial Lawyers Association's filing, is that politicians do run the police. Michael Elliott of the Edmonton Police Association, he's attacked an elected official and filed code of conduct complaints for your damaging tweets, Mac. He's (laughs) ramped up his posting 
around budget time in order to sow discontent to cause budget increases. These are political actions. He's the president of the police association. He is also a police member. To say that the police aren't being directed by politician really ignores the intensely political nature of police leadership. Now, they may not be elected politicians, but they are politicians directed the police. And I think the fact that they're not elected probably makes it worse. And I hope we don't forget that in our upcoming discussions around police accountability and police oversight. Of course, it's not just the police that council oversees, it's the everything else. And that is funded by the big old budget. In the upcoming year, in this budget discussion, the budget, of course, happens in the fall and council will approve a budget not only for the next four years, but for the year following, 2023. Mac, we are going to certainly get a tax increase in this upcoming budget. It seems that way. Council got a first look at the impact of inflation, expected shortfalls in revenue for transit, for example, uh, something we've talked about before, the decline in funding from photo radar, the list of things that we've already agreed to build and fund. And all of that added up paints a pretty dire picture for our taxes. Uh, if we went ahead with everything that's already in motion, administration estimates an 8.5% tax hike next year. Now, the mayor was pretty quick to say that he doesn't think that council would approve such a steep increase. There's only a very small handful of municipalities around the province that have approved anything near that percentage in the last year. He thinks that it'll, it'll end up lower. And Post Media reports that during this meeting, council seemed to land somewhere between 1% and 5%. So an increase, the question will be, how large is it? And importantly, what do we get for that increase? First, just to frame this. Inflation is a hard number to peg with any material certainty, but it's been estimated as high as 11%. So to say an 8.5% increase, that still could potentially be effectively a cut when growth and inflation are factored into the discussion. Yeah, I think it depends on, you know, the, the way that we measure inflation for consumer goods is a little bit different than the kind of inflation that the city's looking at for the things that it needs to spend money on. But it's true that all of those things, the cost of all of those things will increase, right? And so it is possible that by the time we get to approving the budget, a smaller increase is effectively a freeze or a cut. Of course, I want to talk about one of the big driving forces for this increase. And you don't want to talk about this, but we're going to, Mac. <laughs> and that's snow clearing. We had alluded to this in a previous episode. To achieve the metrics on snow clearing that council wants requires an astronomical increase in taxes to achieve a palatable service level requires an almost doubling of our snow removal budget, which can be anywhere from 40 to $55 million on any given year. Yeah, council voted on this this week. It was one of those interesting ones, Troy. This was a, what, 10-parter <laughs> where they voted on uh, various aspects of how much money they want to spend potentially. And, you know, really what they've done is ask for options. So they've not agreed to spend this amount of money yet, but they've asked administration to basically come back with what would it actually cost if you went and did some more detailed financial planning now, what would it actually cost? And what they're looking for is a 30 to 45% increase in roadways and a 50 to 65% increase in active pathways. So for clearing service for those two things, it's going to cost more money, significantly more money. 
we won't know exactly how much yet, but that's what council has directed administration to go and figure out. So we know they're planning to spend more money on snow clearing. I do wonder to what extent they'll be able to figure this out, because I think back to last winter where you and I lambasted the city because they needed to run a pilot to discover how much it costs to clear windrows, <laughs> accepting that, you know, we've been a winter city for the entirety of Edmonton's lifespan. I wonder how they're going to figure out how much it will cost in summer if they can't actually drive a dump truck. <laughs> These are the real questions, Troy. This motion from Tim Carmel and Andrew Knack had a bunch of different sub things in it, as I mentioned. A couple of things they did not approve. Clearing sidewalks for all senior facilities within 24 hours, which... Sounds like it would be a good thing, but no. And also buying six double-wide trailer snowplows. It does make sense that we wouldn't be buying new equipment because City has reported that we weren't even able to staff the equipment that we do have. Seems like a good first step to use the stuff you do have before buying new toys. Yeah, fair enough. Unless that new toy is an icebreaker for bike lanes, in which case... Send on the credit card, Mr. Sohi. We, we will buy it. <laughs> Speaking of a counselor, Cartmel, he made news for another reason this week, raising the red flag on Blatchford. And normally when a discussion starts around a counselor raised a red flag and a counselor is like Tim Cartmel, who is vaguely on the conservative end of the spectrum, I'll start rolling my eyes. But in this case, Blatchford was... Expected to have 2,700 homes built by this point in time. And there are 32, Max. So red flags, I think, are a little bit warranted. But what's going on here? Why does Blatchford have nothing? <laughs> well, I'm not exactly sure why all of a sudden, or maybe it's not all of a sudden, why this week Tim Cartmel decided to talk about this. But he pointed out that the city has spent, he said, about $232 million on this project so far. And he's concerned about both the pace and the affordability. So we know from previous coverage on Blatchford that I wasn't exactly on time. There's always going to be some unexpected things that happen when you're developing a project like this. There was decisions about the district energy piece and some of the other design decisions that needed to be made that I think delayed some of the start of this. But even still, 32 residences out of 2,700 is quite far off the plan. I think you could agree with that. And Councillor Cartmel said, I don't think we've delivered at the pace that we suggested we would. <laughs> uh, he called them big audacious goals that maybe we're a little bit disconnected from reality. And now this is not to say what we have in Blatchford isn't nice. The buildings, very nice. The infrastructure surrounding it, you know, there are some nice, tightly integrated, fully separated and protected bike lanes and sidewalks around roundabouts. The renderings for Blatchford looks absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. But each of these 32 buildings... You know, they're multifamily housing, so shared walls, which are fine. There are the advantages to shared walls. Mm -hmm. But the dollar buying power in Edmonton, one doesn't typically expect to spend seven hundred dollars or $800,000 on a 1,200 square foot shared wall building. But that is the proposition in Blatchford right now. Yeah, this is a big problem, right? If we think that developments like Blatchford and infill in general are going to be a key part of how we bring city plan to life it's really problematic that it's not accessible to more people. It's not affordable for enough people. 
I don't know exactly why it's cost so much in Blatchford right now, but the point is, as uh, as Councillor Cartmel brought up, it doesn't seem very affordable. You know, he suggested some options for trying to address this, but people who could be good candidates for this type of development, who could be the kind of people that we had in mind when we, you know, the city designed this plan way back when and integrated it into city plan. If they can't afford it, then what's the point of doing this, right? Maybe it's not a problem that we only have 32 homes if nobody can afford to live there. Part of the dream of Blatchford is you can, it's downtown, you can live that lifestyle. You can have a no car household with bicycles and access to the LRT and walking. If people living in Blatchford don't adopt that en masse, I think it is fair to say that the experiment to some extent has failed. We want to see that level of success. We want this designed urban community to enable people to live that way. However, if you design a neighborhood that has an affordability threshold that is so high where the residents living there don't particularly care if they have to spend $35 a day in parking on their BMW, I don't think the market incentive may convince them to not use their car. And of course, you know, we live in Edmonton. In many cases, it's still more convenient to drive your car. If you're in Blatchford Airport and you want to go to a hockey game, I can imagine if cost is not an issue for parking, many Edmontonians, unless they can be convinced otherwise, will be driving. And that's that's a big fear for me. If you don't have the affordable housing mix, you don't have the people modeling the behavior that we want in Blatchford, which, you know, families need to model. And families can be hard-pressed to afford such high sums of money for such slow quantities of space. No doubt. And, you know, the lack of a strong LRT connection is one of those factors, right, that could contribute to this, back to those connections to city plan. But I do think we should zoom out a little bit. I think it's perfectly valid for Councillor Cartmel and others to question the pace of development, right? They approved this in 2014, started construction in 2015, I believe it was 2019 that the very first home builders started construction there. So, you know, there's a bit of a slow buildup there. Who knows how the pandemic and other things have impacted this. But Blatchford is never going to be built in five or six years. This is a 536-acre development, I believe, right? They plan to have 30,000 people here. This was always going to be a multi-decade build. Should we be questioning the pace? Yes. And making sure that we're on track? Yes. But I don't know that we should be throwing everything out for Blatchford quite yet. And of course, this is perhaps one of Tim Cartmel's proposal, the idea that the city might need to sell Blatchford at a loss and let private developers sweep in and construct and build it out. That may not be the solution here. Maybe there's a bit of sunk cost fallacy in my arguments, but I do think you're right that it's not quite time to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. But some questions, some realignment might be necessary. Yeah, for sure. Well, throwing the baby out with the bathwater is something you do if you don't have the appropriate medicine to heal the baby. Alberta Blue Cross can help you there. (laughs) Fine transition, sir. Yeah, nailed it. And Blue Cross nails it if you're a business owner. Life as a business owner can be hectic, to say the least. And Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. 
Uh, you've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business, and Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more about your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. And that is it, Mac. We have done another week and done another episode. There's one thing that the astute listener might have noticed we didn't talk about this week. And that was one of the things that I'm going to say dominated the news coverage insofar as journalists said, what is going on with this thing? And that's the safer for all community safety strategy that Andre Kobold, the city manager, announced this week. And we didn't talk about it this week, Mac. And that's primarily because there's not a lot to talk about, right? Yeah, we don't know exactly what this means, why they've brought this forward. We're still waiting for lots of information. Council's going to be discussing this community safety and well-being strategy, as well as an initial report from the city on uh, revamping the Edmonton Police Service funding formula next week and the week after. So there'll be lots of time to dig into it when we actually know a little bit more about what we're digging into. And until we know more, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.